Welcome everyone to the edition of Governed by God, a biblical look at law, civics, and government. My name is Eric Leupold. Thank you for joining me this morning. Today I have an interview with a fellow Christian podcaster, uh, Daniel Minnick, and I'll give a brief introduction about him in a little bit. But first, I want to do our Law of the Day. So if you wanted to join me in taking a look at Scripture, uh, the law we're going to be looking at is Exodus chapter 22, verses 2 through 4. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. All right, pretty simple law, straightforward. But there's a couple things to point out uh, before we get into application of this law. First is that a distinction is made here between two different situations. The first is a situation at nighttime when everyone is sleeping. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of confusion, if you will. And the individual breaks in the home and there's a struggle of some kind. And in this situation, if lethal force is used against the thief, the owner is not held accountable or held liable to it. The owner doesn't know why the thief is there. The owner might have a weapon, but be unable to see very clearly to use it. Uh, Of course, there's very little light. In those days, there would be no light switches. You'd have to uh, light a candle. And again, it'd be a very confusing situation. And in this case, the benefit of the doubt is given to the owner. He doesn't know whether um, the individual, the thief, is actually trying to kill them or do something even worse to, you know, a wife or children and not just there to steal an ox or a donkey. The second scenario takes place during the day or at a time when more information is known about the situation. Again, the thief breaks in during the day. Uh, apparently, you know, obviously there's light. The owner can see what's going on, can see what the thief is doing, whether he's armed or not, uh, whether he's a, 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 a real threat or not, um, and then make a more informed decision. Now, keep in mind, if a thief were to break in during the day, that's a very desperate situation. Obviously, you would prefer to do it at, at night uh, because you have the cover of darkness and surprise but during the day, that would imply that the person is in truly a desperate situation if they're so hungry, uh, so impoverished that they have to uh, break in during the day. But also keep in mind that the more knowledge that the owner has, the more responsibility they have. So in this case, the life of the thief is more important than getting the item back at, uh, right at that time. The thief can be detained. But if the sun has risen, or if there's enough information, daylight, things like that, he cannot be killed. The owner must use self-control in this manner. Uh, If the owner were to kill him knowingly, uh, it's clear as day, he he knows that he's a thief, the thief is running away, has the object, but if the owner just kills him anyways, there is guilt upon the owner. Now, regardless... um, If the thief is caught, of course, he must pay back. And in this case, he must pay back double what is owed. 
whether it's a sheep, ox, or donkey, or goat, whatever the case may be, um, he must return the stolen item plus additional costs. Now, the reason why there are these additional costs is because there's a loss of labor. I mean, if the thief steals the farmer's ox, that's his means of work, of, of, um, of farming and, and labor. So there's a loss of labor, there's a loss of productivity, there's also a loss of time, if the farmer is spending a lot of time looking for the uh, the lost item, he didn't know it was stolen perhaps, and the thief uh, got away with it. There's also a loss of, um, well, due to stress and inconvenience there. Again, just this causing problems in the um, farmer's life. So the thief must make restitution monetarily. Uh, if he can't pay double, he has to be sold into slavery. Now, Please understand, this is not the typical concept of slavery that um, an American might understand it. It's not ethnic or race-based. It's not lifetime servitude. Um, he could work off the debt, essentially. And the slavery would not last forever. I mean, in the, in the context of Israel, a Hebrew slave could only be a slave for six years. On the seventh year, he had to be set free. So essentially, it was a short-term debt, a short-term um, enslavement, if you will. And the purpose in this particular case is to simply pay back what is owed. As soon as the individual works to pay back his debt, he's done. He's free. It's not a lifetime. And even if he can't pay it all back, he's free on the seventh year anyways. So that's the worst case scenario for the thief is that he's uh, in a short-term uh, debt scenario. Now, how about some application for this law? Well, the law seeks restitution between the two parties involved. The victim is to receive monetary damages, not the, not the government, not the state, not the central uh, authority there. The criminal must work to pay back what has been lost. This is good for the victim, because the victim gets satisfaction for the loss of property and time, monetary satisfaction. Uh, the victim does not have to pay taxes to pay to keep the thief in prison and clothing him and feeding him and entertaining him and all of that stuff. It's also good for the thief because he can simply be free. If he has the money and pays back double what he owes, he can, he, he's done. He goes free. That's, it's over. Um, he's also only enslaved to pay back the debt, and it's a short-term slavery. He still would have rights as a slave, by the way, under biblical law. He cannot be, he not, cannot be killed. Um, and per biblical law, if a slave uh, is injured, if the, if the master hurts a slave, the slave must go free. Okay, like knocks a tooth out or, or anything like that, kind of, you know, serious damage. And of course, if the slave is, is murdered, the owner or the master is held accountable uh, for that and could lose his own life as well. So the slave has rights, um, and the purpose here is just to pay back the debt. And he learns the value of hard work, by the way. The thief does. He learns the value of hard work. Um, consider what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says. Paul writes this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So 
it's a it's a good law for both parties involved and it teaches the thief the the value of hard work and that stealing is not the right way it's not the way to go now other laws in the world are that that deviate from god's law they're cruel and they're unkind and i'll show you why let's give you a couple examples first in some nations thieves have their hands cut off which is a very cruel punishment you know some might think that's smart or wise but the problem is it it prevents the thief from working you lose a hand the thief can't really do labor or as much labor anymore so it prevents the thief from engaging in honest work it also um, makes the thief dependent upon others if he loses a hand now he has to beg now he has to someone has to take care of him um so rather than provide for himself, he has to be provided for. Now, in the modern culture, such as the United States today, uh, thieves go to prison a lot of the time. And again, I have a big problem with the prison system. I think it's very unbiblical. But what ends up happening is the victim has to pay to support the thief. The victim pays via taxes to house and clothe and feed this thief. And the thief does not learn the value of hard work um, and might be in jail longer than seven years. So way worse than, than the slavery of the, uh, of the Bible here. And the victim never gets the restitution. If the thief doesn't have the money, you know, right, the thief just goes to jail. But the thief is never required to pay that person back and doesn't have to work for it. So there is no restitution given um, to, the, to the victim. So ultimately, God's law is wise and good and something that we need to really, really think about and consider for our own laws today. So um, just wanted to share that law today with you. Hope you found it uh, interesting, and I encourage you to look at that and uh, reflect upon it as well. But now, I want to get into our main topic. So today, I had the opportunity to interview Daniel Minnick who is the uh, host of the Truth Espresso podcast, um, also part of the Christian podcast community, uh, of which uh, Governed by God, my podcast, is a part of. Uh, Daniel Minnick is a software engineer, has a bachelor's degree in computer science and a master's in information systems. Now, Truth Espresso, uh, on that podcast, he covers a lot of different topics, a lot of different worldview topics, um, and one such topic that I found particularly interesting on his podcast is that of economics. Uh, uh, Daniel has a has a wonderful brain; uh, he can think things through way better than uh, than I can. And so, the topic that we're going to discuss together is that of economics, uh, money, uh, debt, and basically some of the problems that we see in uh, the United States and America regarding our economic system and the things that are that are going on with it, that are unbiblical. And so we do take a look at some of the laws in Scripture regarding that. So I really do hope you enjoy uh, this discussion with Daniel Minnick from Truth Espresso. And if you want to take a look at his podcast, just go to truthespresso.com. That's truth, T-R-U-T-H, and then S-P-R-E-S-S-O.com. And without further ado, my discussion with Daniel Minnick. All right, uh, Dan, I really appreciate you joining me uh, this evening to have a good conversation on the topic of economics. It's very, obviously a very broad topic, and um, 
just for our listeners out there, uh, you're the host of Truth Espresso, and I've had a chance to to listen to uh, a couple episodes and have really appreciated it. And so um, I'm glad to have you on the show today here on Governed by God because you and I kind of cover some of the same topics regarding uh, how law, uh, government, uh, economics uh, should all fonder uh, scripture and and God's standard for for living. So I kind of just wanted to open it up to you, uh, being someone who you know you're very familiar with economics and some of the unbiblical things that are happening in our culture today. Um, more specifically on on, on the American uh, issue, what do you see? as some of the big problems, the big unbiblical issues um, economically in our culture? Well, yes, first of all, thank you, Eric, for uh, uh, allowing me to be on your podcast, Governed by God. And as you said, we have a, a, a lot of similar interests there and, and seeing um, the world through uh, the lens of God's laws he spells mm-hmm. out in the Bible. And and when it comes to the issue of economics, I think that it's a very deep and complicated issue that I really wish a lot more people would understand. Basically, economics is kind of like, if you think of it like an onion, there are a lot of layers to it. But uh-huh. when you peel back the layers and get to the core, economics is very simple. Yeah. And it all comes down to the idea of what is money and what is the purpose of money and what would be honest money versus uh, a dishonest money. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, when it comes to economics and all the problems that we see when we see like rampant government spending on uh, doling out favors to uh, corrupt organizations, Mm -hmm. uh, helping um, you know, government bureaucrats and banks helping out their friends while basically leaving the average person high and dry. I think all of it ultimately gets traced back to why is that even possible? And the reason it's possible has to do with the whole money system that I believe departs from what the Bible prescribes uh, as far as what is an honest money and what is a dishonest form of money and yeah. the monopoly on money hmm. you know you mentioned uh, some of the <laughs> some of the spending from the government and obviously you know we're a year plus into this uh, pandemic and now we many of us have gotten multiple uh, stimulus checks and, and and a lot of people that i that i talk to they don't really see any problem with it per se or they don't they're not really bothered by by the getting the money i mean the only thing that really bothers them is if they don't get it so you know as long as they get it they're cool with it and i don't know and i imagine you you've had some similar conversations but I, I try to get people to think about that that money like it just doesn't come out of thin air you know it's not, not really real and it's going to be problems in the future, so it's kind of that um, topic of of fake or or fiat money. Can you speak a little bit about the problem that you see with this kind of spending and essentially printing of money by the government? Yeah. So first, uh, I'd like to come uh, come up with a definition of money, just so we know exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the definition of money that I came up with for my podcast, Truth Espresso, is 
any good, whether tangible or intangible, whose primary use is as a medium of exchange. And so money is basically what facilitates transactions. It's anything that's in the middle of trading different goods and services, basically gets in the middle of um, barter and mm-hmm. makes barter essentially easier. And if we want to look at what a... Um, biblical money is we look at the characteristics of a money so technically any good can be Mm -hmm. used as a money because i said it's a good Mm -hmm. um, but certain characteristics make some things better suited as money Mm -hmm. Um, these characteristics are that number one it's relatively scarce you Mm -hmm. know so if you go to if everyone lives at the ocean and you try to use sand as money, that's not going to work very well because you can't even contain how much sand you use that would make it valuable for transactions. Mm-hmm. So relatively scarce. Another uh, number two, it's portable. You need to be able to carry it around. Otherwise, it makes it hard to transact in a marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three is it's divisible. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, it's fungible. In other words, every unit of money has the same value as any other unit of the same denomination. Hmm. Um, number five, it's durable, you know, like say, uh, dirt or something that can erode or wither is not going to last long. And therefore any, if a good is durable, that makes it uh, work better as money. So you could store it longer, you can save it and you can plan your spending when you need it. And then finally, which this I think is important uh, for biblical money, as opposed to the system we have today, number six, is that money has utility. In other words, it has um, valuable uses Like, so what makes something a good money is that it itself is a good that has, um, you know, factors like, say, for instance, if we take gold, you know, gold isn't just shiny and beautiful. It also is, um, you know, it's malleable. You can shape it. It conducts electricity. It's used in products like USB devices. And, Hmm. And so what the reason people found something like gold valuable is that it actually has uses, it has utility, and that's how it became historically valuable for money. Hmm. So I mentioned that there are many things, you know, agricultural produce, wampum, seashells, large (laughs) stones, precious metals, and paper have historically been used as money. But what things have been tested, time-tested, Um, that people have used for thousands of years, as the Bible shows, are things like gold and silver, because they have all of those features, those characteristics of a good money. Hmm. And so... So so you would say um, that, I mean, it seems like like these six rules, or these six characteristics, I should say, they make sense. And, but is it the case that they just kind of happened naturally as humans engaged in uh, commerce with each other that it just so happened like I don't like what I guess I'm trying to say is uh, somebody in the ancient world uh, didn't just sit down and, and say okay look I need something that does this 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 and this and this and then he goes through his list of items you know you know piece of rock no 
cow, no, you know, piece of wood, no, and then he lands on gold? Or is it more just it naturally came about that over time, uh, generally speaking, throughout the world, gold and silver, precious stones, um, rose to the top as far as the best forms of money, medium exchange, um, because of those qualities, but it's not that somebody was explicitly trying to find those qualities. Does that make sense? Yes, it's uh, money is definitely an indirect, um, unintentional discovery of natural free market processes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have the revelation of God. And if we look at uh, Genesis chapter two, verses 11 through 12, we see that God created money naturally, even if it, he didn't just dictate down from heaven to some kind of government and say, you will use <laughs> gold and silver as money. But yeah. from the start, naturally, we see it says um, the name of the first referring to uh, rivers that 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 is it which compasses the whole land of Havila where there is gold and the gold mm. of that land is good. There is mm. delium and the onyx stone. And so we see that God created things. If it seems like he intended them to be discovered and used naturally as money. And so, mm. you know, as I mentioned, people used different things that might've had one or two or several of the characteristics that make sense as money. But it mm. seems like, God naturally created things, you know, gold, silver, precious stones with their characteristics that makes them naturally suited as money, but he never set up anything that would be like a central government and mm -hmm. dictated to them, you will create the money and you will control the, the money and the supply of money. I bet you this is probably a very uh, in-depth question, but, you know, how <laughs> did we get in a way, I mean, maybe in, maybe in a nutshell or in five minutes or less, like from, from that idea to where we are today as far as like now we just go around handing these uh, pieces of paper with, with people's faces on it uh, and, and we, we as humans think that that has value or even we just use, you know, digital ones and zeros, credit or electronic money, like uh, you know, wh where did the disconnect happen or, or, or how did it come to this? Yeah, it's definitely a, a complicated answer that would mm -hmm. be needed for that question. I mean, I can give kind of a, mm -hmm. like a hypothetical story, you know, mm -hmm. where um, obviously the invention of print paper and the printing press i think it was the chinese who actually invented paper mm -hmm. you know it was a good thing for the economy because you know allows us to to keep records better it's better for writing and and printing things and mm -hmm. uh, books disseminating information mm -hmm. and i would say that there's nothing wrong with using paper itself as a currency, as long as we understand how it should be limited. It's like, so if we're going to use paper, um, like really we should use it. And in history, it was used as a money substitute. Mm -hmm. In other words, a bank, like people would store their gold or silver at a bank, and then the bank would issue what were called warehouse receipts in paper. And the paper itself, you know, it's a lot lighter. It's it's much more portable, actually, than gold and silver. And, you know, maybe if someone on the street sees some 
uh, a bag with shiny stuff, yeah. you know, on your person, you might have more of a risk of getting mugged and robbed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So paper, uh, the warehouse receipts made it much easier to carry money. And then because it represented gold and silver in a bank, um, the, the warehouse receipts would be treated as a substitute for the money. And so people would exchange these warehouse receipts um, for goods and services because the person who bore the note would, re would know that he can take that warehouse receipt to a bank and redeem it for the gold and silver. And so, you know, there is a rule that things like money substitutes, instruments such as paper can play a role in facilitating commerce but then the problem happens when the banks um, realize that they could try to get away with <coughs> excuse me lending out more paper printing more paper than they actually have money in the vault and that's exactly what has happened mm -hmm. throughout history and then when people start to get suspicious that maybe the bank it was not being honest and they didn't really have their money in safekeeping at the bank they would try to come to the bank to get their real money and redeem the receipts but mm -hmm. if there's more receipts than there is money in the vault then you have a bank run and and you know you have a difficult situation and that expose the problems with the bank but today people think the best way to avoid a bank run is to ensure deposits you know we have what's in the united states what's called the federal um, deposit insurance corporation to ensure that banks will can use inflation to give you your money back, but that's not really the solution. The solution <laughs> is honest money that your receipts should represent real money, such mm -hmm. as historically what was gold and silver. So and you, it, so you oh. can't, um, you can't go to the bank today and get some gold or silver by turning in your your banknotes. <laughs> Yes, not anymore. Uh, historically speaking, in the United States, um, the certificates, the money used to say that you could redeem it in gold at mm -hmm. the bank, but no longer because um, the United States went off the gold standard. And, you know, we could get into history of yeah. that, such as, um, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and mm -hmm. his new deal programs and his efforts to expand the money supply he knew that his spending um would result in inflation so then he uh he had the gold confiscation laws mm -hmm. people could weren't allowed to have gold because you know that would prevent the government from being able to expand and spend money on projects in their false notion that that was what the economy needed actually it was theft from the labor of the, the mm. citizenry mm. but then gold was actually illegal to hold wow. um there until after you know until the 1970s but then that would you know we'd get into the history of uh the wars and the Bretton woods accords and stuff like that but. yeah yeah so uh so yeah just i mean obviously we can't get gold today well you can still get gold but not not at the bank, um, but yes. uh, you said that per the FDIC, you have a situation where 
um, the bank has this money that it gets from its from its patrons, its customers, and then it's hoping that not every single person comes back for their money at the same time. So it's kind of taking a, a little bit of a risk or a gamble, and it's a little dishonest, obviously. And it uses that money. It spends it or loans it or, or whatever. But like you said, mm-hmm. if everyone runs on the bank, um, the FDIC, is that basically nothing more than uh, the like another higher bank, the federal <laughs> bank, just just promises to to backfill the the other bank with the with the cash like how does that work yeah, yeah. so originally I, I believe when it was established um it would insure deposits up to ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars um now it's it's been two hundred fifty thousand for quite a while so if you have one bank account that you have millions of dollars in if somehow there were uh, a bank run, you you would only get two hundred fifty thousand insured, mm-hmm. you know, to re to uh, replace it. But you know, yeah, that is uh, that is the solution that mm-hmm. the government provides mm-hmm. to uh, avoid bank runs. But of course, I believe that's not the correct solution. <laughs> yeah, because is it nothing more than just deception and and theft? Like, what makes it is that is that why it's bad? Yeah, I mean, this was this would go back to the legalized institutional practice of fractional reserve banking. I mean, fractional reserve banking was kind of something that you know banks tried to do and get away with, but now with the central bank, especially the Federal Reserve System that started in 1913, now you have legalized, institutionalized fractional reserve banking as the engine for the economy. And what so what fractional reserve banking is, is that um, a bank can lend out um, money that more money than it has in reserves in its vault. So let's say, you know, you have what's called the reserve ratio that the Federal Reserve sets. And um, so if, say, for instance, the reserve ratio is 10 percent, that means that the bank Uh, is required to have um, in its vaults 10% of the cash that in total it lends out to to borrowers. So Mm -hmm. it could lend out, you know, um, nine times, you know, if I'm calculating correctly, what it has in the vaults. And so (laughs) definitely that you'd see like well, that should cause a bank run, but now that it's institutionalized and people don't understand what's going on, then mm-hmm. the banks are making money and uh, with their loans and inflating the supply of money, which we could talk about what yeah. inflation is and uh, what the Bible says about it. Yeah. But, you know, basically it's like our purchasing power, the how much we could buy with a dollar it gets spread thin, we can buy less with it as the banks Mm -hmm. end up getting more of the purchasing power because they could lend out, they can create new money and lend out what they don't have, what they haven't earned. And we get to use money that we have to work to earn and uh, see its purchasing power stolen from us. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to go to next because um, whenever I, you know, especially with these stimulus checks and and you're getting... Uh, the government's spending trillions of trillions of dollars and 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 no one seems to bat an eye 
at it. And uh, I, I, I just inform people like, well, I, I can't see how it's going to avoid inflation because it just seems like the money is coming out of thin air. It's not money that we've we've saved uh, in kind of like a rainy day fund. Like maybe it'd be one thing if the government had a balanced budget and we had a surplus and we had 10% every year saved for the rainy day fund. And then rainy day happens, you know, pandemic. And now you have $2 trillion saved that's actually legitimate uh, real money that you can actually, you know, spend as you see fit. But what's happening here is we're in debt. We have a deficit. We spend more than we take in. And then we're going to, we're just going to create more money out of thin air. And what I tell people kind of tongue in cheek is that it's, it's not, it's nothing more than Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Like, like it's, it's not, re- it's just not going to go very well. It's going to, it's going to diminish the value, which I, I, you know, I try to explain inflation, but maybe for, for my listeners, you can uh, please explain how that is inflation and how inflation is a damaging thing. Yeah. So when I mentioned what qualifies as a good money, one of the features is um, that it's relatively scarce and mm-hmm. built into, say, gold and silver that has to be mined and, uh, you know, that that they're relatively scarce metals, so they hold their value. Uh, they can't really be manipulated as easily, but mm-hmm. <laughs> inflation is um, at least historically defined, which is the definition I'm holding to, inflation is an increase in the supply of money that ultimately results in an increase in prices. Now, when you hear economists today talk about inflation, mostly they talk about rising prices, but that's not what inflation is. Inflation is a monetary phenomenon. It, it, it has to do with the supply of money itself, which results in rising prices. But by focusing on defining inflation now as just an increase in prices, they hide the, the cause of it. But so now what is the effect yeah. of this when yeah. the money supply is increased? Inflation doesn't simply mean that the government creates new money and then distributes <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. the results in proportion to what everyone has. In other words, if the government doubles the money supply, it's not as if everyone's money holdings simply double, you know, that would make inflation really have no other effect than to adjust price figures, but and everyone would still be as wealthy as before. Mm -hmm. But that is far from what inflation actually is. Inflation, (coughs) inflation in practice is is no different in effect than counterfeiting. Those who have the legal privilege to print new money at will can benefit themselves and their favored parties, all their friends. The counterfeiter or his friends who get this new money can, of course, buy goods and services at their current prices. And as they buy a portion of the supply of goods and services and their counterfeited money circulates, um, prices eventually adjust to reflect the new ratio of the money supply to the currently available supply of goods and services. <clears throat> so the counterfeiter and their and their favored friends benefit from this because they get free goods and services with the money that they create. But who loses? 
It's those who do honest work and are not connected to the scheme. Hmm. What they earn for their work will tend to lag behind the, <coughs> the increase in prices. Hmm. Uh, this yeah. is really a theft of labor. Any savings that they have worked to set aside becomes less valuable as each unit of money can buy less. So it, it really is theft. Yeah, I was just trying to think about uh, in its simplest form, kind of like if I was in my basement with a, uh, a printing press that could print counterfeit bills. Um, you know, I, let's say I get like a million dollars. I made a million dollars. And no one else knows that. And now I can take advantage of the fact that the market, you know, the prices of a car, of a house or whatever, they're all the same. Um, but as I start buying all this stuff and the money starts to go out into the world, then, you know, as I'm buying more and more stuff, the prices of those items will will raise. Um so I get the benefit of the uh, low prices at the beginning. So I get all the stuff. And then as my money starts going out into the market, those people, they get more money. Maybe they're able to buy some stuff at a decent price before it rises high. But the person at the very end of the whip or of the rope, um, you know, the prices of all increased the market is already uh, adjusted when they're finally seeing the money if you will and and so those people are the marginalized the ones that get hurt the most which are i guess i would assume typically the, the like the poor because mm -hmm. the first people that are getting the money from from the big injection from the government are like people that need the big loans corporate big business that kind of stuff but but the average laborer who's poor isn't going to see that uh, until the prices have all raised. Is that a fair understanding? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what inflation does and who it affects. You know, those who are connected to the scheme get uh, cheaper goods and services or even free goods and services because they create the money. Mm -hmm. And then because the prices rise as the money supply um, grows, and prices readjust, those who are on fixed incomes, you know, the working uh, middle class and poor, those who save money and, you know, the fatherless and the widows, as the Bible talks about a lot, they're the ones who suffer the most from this uh, scheme of counterfeiting, legalized, monopolized counterfeiting. Yeah, and I also was thinking of the uh, the folks that are because you mentioned the widow, but the folks that are retired too, because yes. you know they they worked all their lives and they are you know let's say they invested or, or saved you know several million dollars and they're living off the interest or whatever, but they planned they planned their retirement off of a certain uh, cost of living and a certain level of um, of lifestyle that they wanted to have, but as they see prices increase. And they're not getting any more money because they're retired. Then they're the ones that suffer, and they they realize that their plans are are being overturned or upended by the like you said the deception and the cheating of the other people. Is yes, that fair? That's 
that's exactly what happens. And, you know, it's like I say, I wish a lot more people understood this and especially uh, Christians really need to understand this because this is, this violates God's law. It violates the uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not steal. Mm. And if inflation counterfeiting is stealing the uh, honest labor from other people, it's robbing them of what they've worked to earn. By tr It's a transfer of wealth, redistribution of wealth from those who produce the money, from those who actually work to produce the goods and services that back the money hmm. essentially you know it's it's theft and so it definitely it, it violates it directly violates god's law and there's even verses and the, there's passages in the bible that we can definitely see um oppose inflation as dishonesty and and some of these uh things are some of the reasons israel went into captivity that uh, God harshly judged people hmm. because, you know, it's a it calls them thieves. Yeah, I was wondering if, uh, uh, if maybe my understanding is wrong of this passage, but I think it might apply the passages that have to do with um, uh, equal weights and measures. So <clears throat> for, for, for those listening, like, I guess, like in the ancient world, obviously you have a five pound weight or whatever and 10 pound weight and uh you know when you're i want to buy sugar or something like that measure it out and but if you if you were a little sneaky and you said it was a five pound weight but it was really four pounds then basically you can get five pounds worth of money or money for five pounds of sugar but you're only giving the person four pounds of sugar so you have a dishonest weight and measure do you do you see those laws applicable to the issue of inflation yes i definitely do uh deuteronomy 25 verses 13 through 15 uh god says thou shall not have in thy bag diverse weights a great and a small mm -hmm. thou shall not have in thine house diverse measures a great and a small so the the, the weights and the measures need to be perfect verse 15 but thou shalt have a perfect and just weight a perfect and just measure shalt thou have that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the lord thy god giveth thee so you know god's promise to israel that they'll be in the promised land uh, seemed to depend on them having honest transactions that didn't rob people by manipulating uh the money or the way to measure the mm -hmm. money uh, we see uh, uh, the effects of inflation in Scripture where the curses of God, for instance, in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 22 through 23, says, Thy silver has become dross, mm. thy wine mixed with water, or in other words, diluted. Thy princes, you know, the rulers, are rebellious and companions of thieves. Mm. Everyone loves gifts and follows after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither do, do the cause of the widow come unto them. So that sounds like um, inflation there. Infla mm. There's a dilution of, of wine and silver there. Inflation hurts people on fixed incomes, those uh, living off savings and retirement, the poor, the fatherless, and the widows suffer, mm. as the passage says. Um, they suffer the most, and uh, God calls these rulers thieves for doing that. Mm. So, I mean, I know we could definitely go on for hours, so much to talk about uh, there too, but I do want to spend some time um, 
you know, we've we've painted kind of a uh, a, a little a depressing picture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the state of things here. But as Christians who really care uh, about you know justice or or things like that, God's law or fairness and 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 that kind of thing, what should Christians be uh, either doing or advocating for in order to kind of maybe turn back things a little bit or kind of fix things a little bit? Like because it seems like we're so far down this rabbit hole, how do we begin to work our way back? <laughs> I mean, I definitely think that proper, properly educating people on these matters, as we kind of discussed, is, is part of them. Um, parents teach your children about uh, the value of a dollar, you know, the honest labor and then and economics. Um, uh, the uh, biblical sound money and the problems of why the government's so corrupt as the bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which some covetive after have pierced them through their with many sorrows and we see that's what the government does by loving money loving creating money loving what money buys by uh stealing from people <laughs> and uh so it starts with education uh christians really need to understand how serious this is that really the engine for inflation which is uh counterfeiting and theft is the engine for all you know virtually all the corruption we see in government it's mm. it, um it's ultimately a cause for unjust wars you know in christianity we have the just war theory but we haven't really seen a just war for a long time like governments are quick to go to war because they have an inflationary money system that hides the costs of war and they want to go on foreign adventuring and and people just you know, think that there's really no cost to war, but you know, that's another cause, a uh, problem, a moral problem with inflation. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, educating people about that, the, if we really understood this, then perhaps Christians would um, really change their voting and not just be manipulated by, say, the two-party system, they would start to demand that if someone wants their votes, they got to end the corruption. And you can't end the corruption if you have uh, a corrupt government with a corrupt uh, money spigot, allowing them to spend money on things unjustly, rob people, uh, destroy savings. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's completely unbiblical. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that and, and, uh, uh, make that a major part of how we um, fight for justice, you know, true justice, not social justice, but, mm -hmm. you know, justice, equality under the law, under uh, God's law, and mm -hmm. that, you know, we can start from the ground up, fight in, uh, for justice in local governments, you know, mm -hmm. there's the principle of the lesser magistrate, and then oh, yeah. work our way up from there. But anyone who demand that anyone who wants your vote will fight against the corruption of the unjust money system. Mm -hmm. You know, I was thinking of, because uh, we could pick on, certainly we can pick on, let's say the Democratic Party, but we can also you know, there's there's some blame to be to be given to the Republicans who have become also fiscally irresponsible 
uh, voting for and in support of, you know, stimulus checks and, and things like that. And I know that there was a time in the past, a quasi-recent past at the Tea Party movement, where there was an attempt to try to introduce some kind of uh, restraint and integrity um, amongst the amongst the politicians, and and so I, I certainly would advocate for that kind of an integrity. And um, I do think that whether you're you're Democrat or Republican, you need to hold you know the people that you vote for accountable for their wicked spending practices. I mean, would you would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. It's and of course when it comes to the two parties that we have shoved down our throats, uh, it's yeah. it's hard for me to even conceive of voting for a Democrat. You know, yeah. they're like just rotten to the core. You know, I cannot vote for anyone who supports abortion or mm-hmm. um, you know, homosexuality, transgenderism, you know, yeah. I'm conservative that way, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It's like absolute corruption there. And then I know a lot of Republicans are, you know, it's like, there may be a little bit better, but, you know, it's like, okay, if, if the Republicans are our hope, you know, we got to hold their feet to the fire and not, you know, just simply vote for them out of spite for the Democrats. I know I could would get crucified by some of my fellow um, <laughs> Christian conservatives for that, but I'm I'm not one who favors the two party system. I'm not one who like you know votes uh, Republican party ticket because I'm scared of the Democrats. Uh-huh. I'm going to vote my conscience and you know I'd say hey if you want my vote you've got to support the truth. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that, Dan, and I I think that's a an important perspective to have. Uh, yeah, and I, a mature one that I wouldn't I would I would um echo you on that and encourage people to vote in accordance with their conscience and and not be necessarily married uh, to one party or the other. Um, I mean, I know that uh, our time slips us by, but uh, the last question I wanted to ask is how can folks um, get get to learn more about you, your ministry, your podcast? Uh, Where can they find information about you or or go to support you uh, online? Well, my my podcast is uh, Truth Espresso. As I mentioned before, you can get to the website for that. That's www.truthspresso.com and you can see all the episodes I have there and Truth Espresso uh, really is about seeking truth uh, in uh, the word of God. Um, I like to focus on things that a lot of people forget. Um, I Truth Espresso has a lot of focus on things like theology proper. I have a lot on Christology and a lot of Christians don't think much of the depth of uh, doctrines like the Trinity, the the incarnation, who Jesus Christ is, and um, the nature of the atonement, how all that relates, and church history. Uh, so I get into that a lot. I try to be a little entertaining with that because I, <laughs> I also have a series going on, Is Jesus Like?, uh, different superheroes, and each superhero <laughs> represents a particular error about Jesus from church history. So we get to learn a little bit of church history by hmm. thinking about superheroes. 
And um, I also deal with some political and economic topics because I hope that I can really educate Christians on things that, you know, might uh, be ignorant about and realize how serious, as I hope our discussion reveals, how serious and how corrupt things like... um, you know, the monetary system is, and we might look at the surface sometimes and see like, oh, the government's doing this or that. And you think, well, why are they able to do that? It's because what's the root of the problem? Mm-hmm. And so we get in, into there on uh, episodes of Truth Espresso, mm-hmm. and that's truthespresso.com, the website for my podcast. Awesome. I'm also on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, Daniel Minnick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I appreciate that, Dan. And uh, again, I will uh, definitely ask uh, folks to send you any questions if they have any questions about topics such as economics. Uh, certainly, they can they can ask me as well, but I'll probably just forward them to you because uh, <laughs> I might not be able to answer them to the level that you can. But I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show today to talk about uh, this important topic and. You know, it's it's definitely something I'm passionate about too, and I'm also trying to learn how to apply, uh, you know, God's law in every area of life. And and economics is very complicated, and there's so much to learn about it. But uh, I'm thankful for uh, men like you who are are doing that, and also uh, touching on so many other topics because there's a lot to there's a lot to cover out there, and we all have to be uh, working together to uh, to educate others. Uh, and and proclaim the truth. So uh, thank you again uh, for coming out today. Yes, thank you, Eric. It was definitely a pleasure to be on Governed by God. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that discussion that I had with Daniel Minnick, and I know I enjoyed it. There was much that we could uh, continue talking about. Economics is an important topic, a kind of a complicated one in a lot of ways, but as Christians, there's so many things we need to think about and to think through, especially as we're reflecting on God's law. And so, please, I encourage you to take a look at the Truth Espresso podcast and, and look at some of the other topics that uh, Daniel Minnick talks about, especially on the, on the matter of economics. So, you can go, again, to uh, com to find more about uh, his podcast. If you have any questions about uh, about the podcast, or if you want to send any questions to me, and I can forward them to to Daniel Minnick, please just email me at the GBG podcast at gmail.com. You can also go to Facebook, look at Governed by God or the GBG podcast, and reach out to me there, as well as other social media avenues. So again, thank you for your time, and until next time, take care and God bless. You.